0: Joe Momo Presents Calgary Leader Series. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, James. Well, thank you very much for having me, Joe. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, You're the president and CEO at the Calgary Food Bank. Um, You're actually a U of A alumni, just like myself. Um, And you're just doing great things in the Calgary community. Uh, But before we jump into all of that, perhaps give us a little uh, quick twitter length uh bio of uh, your your background and uh what you're currently up to
1: well it's it's interesting to see what's a, a twitter link and i'm like at this point do i have to count the letters i'm not too sure um <laughs> i i actually you know that when you talk about who i am and where i go uh, it mine's just a, an adventure and a journey you know meandering my way through you know high school you know growing up as a kid in edmonton um and just doing the things that kids do uh you know, high school, and then I went to university, uh, did a whole bunch of stuff with amateur sport um, as part of that, have some national caps, fortunately, as a, an athletic therapist, um, lived in the territories where I think I had the most amazing experience, um, you know, just understanding not only Canada, but the people who live in Canada. Um, and then, you know, eventually, I, I meandered my way into Calgary and the food bank here, and what I thought would be a couple of years, which is typical in not-for-profit, um, has actually now been 20. So where has the time gone?
0: <laughs> Just flies by, hey? <laughs> Completely. And yeah, you mentioned uh, you've been with the Food Bank for many years now, uh, 20 years to be exact. Um, won many awards uh, under your leadership, uh, one of the Canada's best charities. Um uh, how, what do you? What do you? I guess what, what? What? kind of led you to nonprofit and kind of leadership in nonprofit?
1: Um, flukes?
0: No, that's not really flukes.
1: <laughs> it was just I had nothing better to do. No, it, and even that doesn't count. Actually, I I can trace it back to my family, um, and all the things that you know. Looking back on it, you've got better you know twenty twenty hindsight type thing. But you know when I look back at the things that happened around the the kitchen table, the things that happened in our community, um, my you know, my parents were always let's get out and do something, you know, different. It's not always about us, um, and the things around me. My uncle was a, a JC, for example, um, and there's not a lot of JCs left on the planet. Um, but think of you know community, social engagement, and and business, and things like that. So it was um, so as a, a very early, I saw my uncle, um, you know, trying to make a difference in the community, you know, from a business standpoint um, as well as a community standpoint. My grandfather was always. Um, you know, hanging out a hat or something like that to raise money for charity. Um, My mother's a cancer survivor, so he was always, you know, had an affinity to cancer. But then, you know, he was always a volunteer at the library as well. And so just looking at the people around me and seeing that community and that engagement was so important. And then for me, as I grew up with a lot of sports around me, always being in that team environment and, you know, looking at it and going, you know, we're here to have fun you know, as, as well as when, but we, we need to do it together. And, and that's really what led me to a, a career in not-for-profits. Um, and also just, you know, it's, it's a great place to work. I mean, people are amazing when you can, you can take to a certain extent some of the trappings of other business or, or private sector off. And sometimes you just get, you know, just that, that much um, stronger feeling that, you know, the community is, is there for us all.
0: Um, and, and that's
1: that, I guess, would be why.
0: Absolutely. And just to add some context uh, for the listeners, uh, the Calgary Food Bank provides emergency food support for families and individuals facing crisis. Um, but from your perspective or from your from your uh, yeah perspective, uh, James, what's maybe something that the Calgary Food Bank does that people don't know about? Well, that
1: was a that was a tough one, you know, as as I was thinking about things because it, you you get so close to what you're doing all the time that you kind of assume that everybody knows everything about you because you know everything about you. Um so but as I talk to people and, and ask questions, what what I've heard when I mentioned that the Calgary Food Bank right now has 213 community partnerships across 565 programs including special dietary foods that we do into the community and things like that i mean though that connection to the community and that it's not just one type of food it's not like just a a can of food that you know we've we've grown or we also address different dietary needs it could be for celiac, it could be we we do a hamper for uh, individuals on dialysis. Um, there are cultural pieces that we do where you know you, you're looking for the food that is is recognizable by you because you ate it growing up, so of course you recognize it, you know, and those kind of things. But I think that community partnership is is something that just isn't out there, you know, and and we're, it's a challenge because we're trying to be you know polite about it and not saying you know hey look at us and what we're doing, but you know, that's a, that's a massive number of relationships as it goes through to ensure that, you know, the, the community gets the food they need, but also that the community connects to get the services. Like, what's the root cause behind this? You know, you don't wake up one day and say, oh, look, my fridge is empty. You know, something else happened. And so how do you get people to be secure and, and safe with that food, knowing that they're going to be able to feed their family so that they can then refocus on what's actually causing them grief? You know, without having to worry about the basics.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of um, worries, and uh, I guess currently with the pandemic, uh, what's what's been something that's been really much of a challenge for you, James, the last five, six, nine months? <laughs>
1: depends on. I mean, from challenges, it depends on what part of the the pandemic we're looking at. Um, initially in the pandemic, uh, we found that we were having lots of conversations with individuals and um, unfortunately government who just sort of expected either the food bank to be there and, you know, how come we weren't, um, and others who were asking questions about, well, what do you do? And that was really difficult. Um, the, the analogy I use is my grandpa, my grandfather was a fireman. Um, you know, growing up. So I I use the analogy that if you've got a a fire, you phone nine one one, and you know, and a fire truck comes out and and it douses the flames. You know, in a very simplistic way, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But so now we've got this fire, and we're going to phone nine one one to say, you know, what I've got this fire, but the fire department can't respond because they have to go through a protocol first that asks them to explain what they would do if they got to the fire. So, you know, do you have the following things? Have you ever done this before? You know, is there anybody that we can talk to who can vouch for your level of performance and things? And and it, it was really discouraging initially that there was one group of people who came out and said, what do you guys need? What does the food bank need in order to continue its great work? And how can we, how can we be part of that? How can we not get in your way and do this? Which was really great. But then there was this other group who were seeking justification for anything and everything they thought they might like to do. So now you're standing wanting to put out the fire, but you can't because respectfully, you're also trying to, you know, be responsive and and answer some questions that really, this is bad timing on these questions. And it, and if. If the actions of of the agency prior to a pandemic were good and and laudable and, you know, and and they could demonstrate their worth, then why would you choose this point to to actually grind things slower and not just trust them? And so there were a lot of, you know, talking to other leaders in the not-for-profit space and a lot of other food banks in Canada, it was very frustrating for us initially because the individuals who knew about us before the pandemic, just were like, what do you need? But the individuals who suddenly became in charge of certain elements started asking questions that was, was detrimental to our responses. And, and a lot of us, we just sort of said, you know what? We, we Unfortunately, we don't have time for this if you can't trust us because of what our history to like you know three weeks ago has told you is our performance. Then, sir, you're gonna have to wait a bit. We'll get to you, we'll explain it, but this is not the time. To start a new initiative that talks about, you know, broader food security and, you know, in, in in the city of you pick your city, we should have been talking about food security before this. And when we invited you to that conversation, you didn't want to come. So sorry, it's a timing issue. That that was that was really difficult um, as we went through and, and talking to other leaders of other not-for-profits, who you know rock and rolled. You know, we in Calgary, we are so fortunate. We have this plethora of amazing organizations. You know, the, the charity intelligence piece, there's there's what, five very specific, you know, Calgary organizations that are, that people know about here in Calgary, but there's, there's three of them in the top 10 in Canada. You know, and when we look at Canada's list of, of high performing and, and highly responsive charitable organizations, it's disproportionately by population weighted towards Calgary. You know, you've got CUPS in there, you've got the, the DI's in there, the food banks in there, you've got Fresh Start that is in there, you know, it, and so we've got these great organizations that are truly making a difference. And, you know, during a pandemic is is, is really not that you sort of want your credentials to stand out for you. And and that, you know, that's, that's a long answer, but that, that can be challenging. Right now, the, our biggest challenge is actually making sure that people know that we're open You know, people in the lockdown, there's so many things happening to them. We don't want them to forget that we're here for them as a community and that we know that we're being helped by our neighbors and our friends and everything. But we also don't want people to shudder themselves thinking, you know what, I really need some help, but I don't know how to ask for it or I don't know how to engage in that conversation. So even if you phone the food bank today and say, you look, I need food. Great. We got the food part. You know, are there other things that are, you know, we can help you connect to? Mental health is always on everyone's minds right now. Um, You know, we're concerned about the isolation and the things that are doing to different parts of the family. We're concerned about, you know, family violence, you know, when you've got these pressure cookers with people and you need a way to extract that pressure to make sure that families can continue to thrive in, in whatever family format they come to.
0: Absolutely. And I think that uh, one of the things you mentioned was you, you talked to many nonprofit leaders and um, organizations. What's, what's maybe one thing, or maybe a common myth about nonprofits uh, that you wish uh, you can debunk?
1: That it, one that comes up all the time, it, it, and it, it, yeah, it, it's one of my pet peeves, but the one that comes up all the time is that individuals in nonprofit for profit are only there because they couldn't get a job in the private sector or in government. So it's it's somehow this you know what I, you you couldn't make the A team so we're gonna we're, you know you you go over there and do that fun stuff or that nice stuff in the in the not for profits, and you know I look at the I look at the people around and and it's not only a caring compassionate piece but it's also a highly effective piece you know we're all running shoestring budgets. We're all making sure that everybody's got the right things in place. We've got the resources in place We're, we're, you know, we're always talking to the community and engaging people in, in different ways of doing things and the education and experience levels of the indivi- of individuals and groups and not-for-profits just kick ass. I mean, even in the food bank here, um, it, it sounds really crazy, but I've got, uh, Ooh, I've got one MBA, three master's degrees in our leadership team you know and you're like okay um i thought you guys just fed people well we do but we also engage people um we've got people working in our warehouse who have been in logistics and inventory for like 20 years you know they know this stuff inside out and backwards and and they've been put in positions We've got people in our in our, our warehouse part of the food bank that actually have been part of teaching SAIT and Mount Royal students in logistics and inventory to say this is how we do it. And you know, here's some practices that we find are best given the challenges that we have within the supply chain. You know, so these are really cool things that we can share. Um, volunteer management. We've got a group here, our volunteer resources crew, they're phenomenal, but they in essence they have to deal with 2000 individuals who water down to about 150 FTEs a day so how do you take it and it, so therefore it's not a one to one relationship so essentially you've got 2000 part time people that you're trying to engage and you're not paying them except in kindness and opportunity you know so we've got these these amazing people that have chosen to put their talents into not-for-profit. And and, and I think when, when we hear, unfortunately, that people, you know, there's this belief that you couldn't get a job elsewhere, so you work here. Uh, that That's unfortunate, but I'm also confident that it will change.
0: Absolutely. And I think you um, saying things like this on the podcast also will help uh, help change the stigma as well. Um, yeah, it sounds like a well-oiled machine, if you will. <laughs>
1: yeah, but, but it's a really high grade of olive oil. Like, let's not, you know, we we use the high-grade canola stuff, you know, in certain things. But we also know that you got to have a nice olive oil in there if you want to bring out the the taste and the texture and the richness of the food.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Speaking of skills, though, what's maybe one superpower that James has, um, maybe like a unique skill that you have that's helped you become so successful in your your role? I don't... (laughs) I don't know really if I have
1: one, you know, like when I was thinking about that one and I was thinking about, you know, those super skills and I I look at it and I go, you know what, it's there's a whole bunch of things go together. The the ones that my family would tell you that I have um, is a complete and utter understanding of useless facts um i'm i'm highly inquisitive by nature and i tend to drill down into things to the nth degree to say really what does that matter and i'm like well it does cuz it maybe it'll come in handy if i know that little tidbit um but my background in looking at knowledge and learning and sharing that understanding and that tenacity towards that i think is is i, I wouldn't call it a super skill but it's a skill that's that's really helped me Go through so when i can look at things and go and and, and truly ask why um an, an example i use when when i'm talking to two individuals and we're, we're trying to talk about an, an idea and, and and trying to figure out how people see it differently um there, there's a guy named barth another guy named schutz who did some research but they called it concepts of reality and that has really stuck with me through my career is this concepts of reality and knowing that every person will see a situation differently. And so how can I understand more about how you see something so that my actions will be more cooperative and building upon what you have rather than just telling you how I see it and how you should change your world? And I, and I think that's, that's a lot of what the people piece in, in what I've always done is, is understanding what people are seeking out of this and understanding how I can I can help or I can build or or whatever is necessary, you know, help help people destroy myths that they have that they think are that they think are facts, for example, or help them, you know, build facts as opposed to being inundated with myths all the time. So I, I think that that complete understanding or that 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 complete knowledge of useless facts <laughs> um, and that tenacity it, it has served me so so well.
0: <laughs> no, I love that. Um, are you the type of person to read or are you, are you more a listener, um, in terms of your, kind of your contents? Um, what type of, uh, learner are you, I guess?
1: I think I'm an, I, to a lot of it, I'm an experiential learner. Like, let me roll up my sleeves and let me get in here and understand what's going on and let me make a mess. And then, you know, I can take things apart. You know, as a kid, you know, growing up, I could take things apart with like nobody's business, but I couldn't put them back together. I can remember taking my dad's razor apart <laughs> and that was it. You know, I, I put it back in the drawer and it was just in pieces. And I'm like, yeah, I can take it apart, you know, but I can't put it back together again, uh, you know, and eventually learning those skills, too. So, yeah, that's, you know, that that whole piece, I think, is it is part of who this guy named James is but yeah it's it, it I, I think I'm an experiential learner I do love to read um I'm finding as I get older though that that tiredness kicks in so I'll read for a little bit now I kind of nod off and then I'll come I'll open my eyes again and go wow was I reading just now you know but then I've then I found podcasts you know like yours where okay so I've got 20 minutes in my drive or half an hour in my drive you know I I can put a podcast on and, and listen to it and and digest information that way. And that I think is that is a big part of what I do. So it, it's a combination but I, I think now I'm in, I'm more into you know podcasts and, and reading um, not so much scientific articles but more so the the I guess you would say the executive summary first and then I just get dragged in and, and then I'll just keep reading.
0: Hmm. No, absolutely And you, you mentioned that you're you're always you have a high curiosity for things. Um, what's maybe one question uh, that you never get asked that you wish you would uh, be asked? How tall are you? <laughs> 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 I,
1: you know, I, again, I, I thought I, I, I've often thought of the questions I've met, and no one's ever asked me how tall I am. You know, for, for the record, I'm you know five foot nine and three quarters, or five foot ten, depending on you know the type of heels I'm wearing, type of thing. But yeah, I'm just this. Like completely average height for planet Earth, you know. I'm, I'm like, wow, that's nondescript. So, but no one ever asked me how tall I am. So,
0: well, that's good to know. You're five nine <laughs> or five ten on a good day, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, one one thing I did want to ask you because, um, like we mentioned earlier, uh, you've been with the Calgary Food Bank for a couple of decades now. Um, how has Calgary changed from when you first started uh, to now?
1: Well, there's, there's Google maps now. Um, yeah, so if, if you can, so because, because my life is sort of like a journey and, and, and it's this, it's this fun, what's our next, you know, we used to say that to the kids when, when they were younger, um, you know, it was like, okay, what's our next adventure? Like, where are we going to go? Because, you know, live I've lived in the Arctic, lived in Edmonton, lived in High River, lived in Calgary, lived in, um, a place called Delaney, Grape Lake, lived in um, Lloydminster. And so it's been this prairie kid thing, you know. And when I look at that and I got to Calgary, it was like, I have never been to Calgary before, you know. And now what do I do? Because the roads aren't laid out properly. There's this quadrant thing happening. And mm-hmm. apparently there's, you know, you could be on 9th and 9th in two parts of the city and I'm so messed up. Uh, so what I used to do is I used to phone people and say, "Where am I?" And you know, great people here at the food bank would say, "Oh, it's you again." Okay, what do you see? You know, and it was like this bad dream. Well, I see a tall building. Do you see any signs? Yes, I see this sign. What does this sign? Well, there's this big sign that says Petro Canada. Okay, where's the Calgary Tower? Right. Oh, that's where you are. So you would find these these Calgarians who knew it. You know, the city like the back of their hand, and and I developed this way to phone people and go, I have no idea where I am. Can you help me? And, you know, and especially community, are you supposed to be in Bridgeland? Yeah, where are you now? I don't know. I'm out by, you know, market something. You're not even close. How the heck <laughs> did you get out there? So for me, it was always, you know, the the pieces that are changing in Calgary for the 20 years I've been here actually are the, the collaboration, the the community, the it's it's more community feeling to me. Um, I There's less duplication and less division, I think, in Calgary than there ever has been before. I'm, I, I've seen in, in my brief time here so far um, is that Calgarians have changed and they are looking at their community differently. And it's not just about one thing driving the community. It's about a series of things and people are starting to, to be more open and involved in that. And, and people are willing to actually talk about that. And, and I think that's the real neat piece about Calgary is that as it gets, and I want to say older, but that's not true because the population seems to be getting younger in Calgary anyways. Um, it's just a brighter light, you know, looking through the, the eyes of my kids as they grow up and seeing their excitement where it's a community that, you know, embraces them and all their, all their works and everything like that that they have you know, and, and saying, yeah, you're, you're a Calgarian. And and I think that is really cool. And that's, you know, that's not something I hear people talk about Calgary all the time. You know, we talk often about the, you know, the economic part of Calgary and we shy away from talking about some of the other really cool things that happen here and how we, how we embrace change.
0: Absolutely. I'd have to say Calgary in my perspective is the best city in the world. So (laughs) yeah,
1: I've, I've gotten to that point too, despite having, you know, I can still cheer for the Oilers. I can still, you know, be an Edmontonian, but I, you know, as the years have gone on here, I'm, I'm with you. Calgary is the best city that I have ever lived in or want to live in.
0: For sure. And it's going to be that way uh, post, post COVID and to the future. So um, yeah, look forward to it. Yeah. What's what's uh, maybe something you're proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview so far?
1: Oh, I like this one. I I really don't know. You know, it's there are there are so many people that have, you know, shared their life with me or shared their wisdom, um, have told me to get off my soapbox or, you know, kick the soapbox out from underneath me. In some cases, you know, that's that's something that, you know, I just sort of look at and go, yeah, but. It, it, but I, I guess it comes back to the, you know, the Calgary and the changes and things like that. It's, it's, it's adaptability. You know, when I, when I think of this place and I look at COVID and know that, you know, I, I've got it written on my whiteboard in front of me here. You know, February 26th was the day that the food bank needed to change because we saw what was coming ahead of us. And so we, we asked our, our organization. So we essentially we, we had 25 people when we could still do that. Um, and we got together and we said, okay, what, what's going to happen here? What do we think? You know, and, and, and 25 amazing people in two days turned this organization around, you know, that adaptability and that willingness to say, okay, hold on a second. Let's, yeah, uh, give me five minutes, you know, and, and it's really funny because people will look at you and, and, and it's like, you're in a store and you, you know, and, and something's going on or, or you're, you're in an environment. Somebody looks and goes, you know, the, the busiest person there looks directly at you and goes, I see you. Just give me a second. I'm just going to deal with this, I don't know, nuclear reactor meltdown. And I'll be right back with you. You know, so you look at the extremes and you've got a, a group of people in Calgary who looked at this and said, yeah, we can't do the food bank the same way. But um, we'll keep feeding people. But just give us a minute because I think we need to do something. And they completely flipped this organization to Canada. I, I affectionately call it Canada's largest drive through food bank. And and we so stole from the old A&W idea where, you know, you, you you'd get in your car and you drive to A&W and roll down your window, but not too far so the tray didn't fall off your car. You know, and you'd order your, you know, your root beer and your mama burger, papa burger, onion rings. My brother always got a, a hot dog with just green relish.
0: <laughs> wow. You know?
1: So now – Now you're sitting in this car with your parents and, and this is like your day out, you know, your, your night out. But that's what we did to the food bank. You know, we had to have food safety. We had to have people safety. Plus, because all the safety that we have, you know, that's paramount to a food bank, we had to add on top of that somehow. And You know, just this great group of people who are like, I know we're, you know, I know it's an economic and we're, we're, you know, we're feeding as many people as we ever have. We're rocking at the highest demand the food bank has ever seen, but we'll be right with you because I know this pandemic is important to you. So just give us a second and then coming back and going, okay, we got three scenarios. We're going to go with two and we think this will be able to continue serving Calgarians and not just the people who were vulnerable already but all of a sudden it became Calgarians who were vulnerable and we didn't know what was going to happen. And and so that adaptation and that willingness on the part of volunteers and staff to just roll up their sleeves and go, yeah, I know this is different. I wonder how I can help instead of saying, well, that's not the way we did it before. You know, that, that embracing and that is, is really something that, you know, the organization is just yeah it's just fun to highlight that in a way that you know it's food is serious i mean without food there's there's some very difficult things i mean not only health wise but education wise coping you know all the well-being things it can be a really downer situation when you when you look into what's going to happen when a family doesn't have food you know so how can you make that something where people can aspire and, you know, do the right things and, and bring up opportunities and, and ideas in a way that's comfortable. And even if it doesn't work, we have a thing around here I call controlled failures, you know, where where individuals have got this great idea. And we're like, yeah, go for it. You know, if you hit the wall and you go splat, you know, that's fine. We won't let you hit the floor. You know, well, we might watch. A little bit. No, that's not good. We We won't let you, you know, we won't let you get hurt, but we're also going to let you fail because we want to learn from that. We, you know, we, so it's this controlled failure thing and, and we just, we just have fun. Did that work? Nope. No, I guess we won't do that again. Well, we might do it once more because there was that one part just before here that we want to look at closer. So would you run at the wall again? So we can just look at this one other piece. People are like, Oh yeah, sure. Hold on a second. I'll just run at the wall. You know, and then we get that other piece and we do, we drag that nugget out that somebody in the back in the corner was like, Hey, I think I saw that thing happening over there. We could do this you're right. And that would do this. And at that point we would have a hamper that you could actually give to an individual on dialysis because they have different nutritional needs than an individual not on dialysis, but you can't give the entire family a dialysis hamper because they won't have the nutrients required. So yeah, we could do that. Cool. (laughs) That's, that's the fun part. That's, that's the things that are, you know, that that make me proud, for lack of a better word, but you know, the proud proud of the organization, I guess.
0: Absolutely, I, one of the things I really love what you said was um, allowing for failure. Although I am not like calling it failure, I like calling them learning opportunities. I think it's really important to try new things, and um, if it doesn't work, just pivot and adapt, like you were saying, and then try something else. Um, so that, that's that's really that's really awesome to hear.
1: Yeah. And, and, and just encouraging people because I mean, so many times, so many things have gone a particular way because we've always done it that way. I'm always reminded of, uh, and it's a, a really old movie, but it's, um, what is it? Uh, is it Vertigo? Um, yeah, that's not, I'm going to sit here forever and not remember, but I see it all the time. But anyways, it was a Mel Brooks movie. And, and in the movie, they're all sitting around the dinner table. And uh, one of the characters looks up and he's holding a snifter of brandy. And he's, you know, he's, he's rolling it in the glass and he's, you know, sniffing it and all that kind of, he takes a sip and he says, oh, this is so much better than the brandy we used to have. And, and I always get a kick out of that because that whenever something happens, you know, that, that's like is good or different or something like that, like you get a really bad, I'm staring at a cup of coffee here. You know, you get the sludge out of the machine because you're last and it's been brewing for, you know, an hour and a half and <laughs> you, you know, you taste it and you go, Ooh, this is much better than the coffee we used to have. And and it, it's not, but you know, but you turn it into something where, you know, people can look at it and go, yeah, this is, this is cool, that we can do this
0: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, if our if anybody in the audience wants to reach out and help out or even connect, what what's kind of the best way to do that?
1: However, they want. Um, for me, uh, you know, I'm I'm in LinkedIn. Uh, this is you know, for me, I've found that LinkedIn is a great way for people to connect and and keep parts of their life separate. Um, I'm a bit of a, a personal life um, controller in that you know when. It, you, what I've found for a lot of not-for-profits is that you're always on um, and that as leaders of not-for-profits you don't really get a downtime and and we've noticed that actually here at the food bank is that you know volunteers come in and and maybe they've come in like once a week or maybe they come in you know once a month but our staff are here all the time and so we've had to really make space for communication and the different types so our, our lunchroom for example is a food bank free zone you're not allowed to go in and talk food bank when you're in the lunchroom, you know, anything but, and, and nobody including me can go into the lunchroom and say, I just need to talk to you for a second. It's like, no, it's taboo. You, you need some time to decompress. You need some time to do something else. And I, I think when we think about how people can contact us, it really depends on, you know, what the frame is around it. So as a food banker, you know, I've got LinkedIn, I've got Twitter, um, at no hunger and YYC. Um, it's the same thing in Instagram, although there's not a lot on Instagram. Um, and you know, just what kind of relationship, you know, do you think it is? I'm, I'm on Facebook sometimes mostly for the jokes. Um, I'm on Reddit sometimes, uh, mostly for the useless information. Um, but I think the, the best way is, you know, phone the food bank, you know, and, and say, Hey, is James there? Uh, send me an email, you know, it, McCara at com, and that's the best way to connect with me.
0: Awesome James Well, I'll put all those Reddits Facebook <laughs> in, <laughs> all in the description so people can reach out to you <laughs> but uh, yeah it's been a pleasure speaking with you I think um, yeah just your perspectives on Calgary, the nonprofit sector it's really enlightening and I really appreciate you you being on the podcast. Um, what I do like to end the podcast with though is, the guests saying a question, quote, or a story to leave the audience um, remembering the interview. So my last question to you is, do you have a question, quote, or story to end the interview?
1: So I've, I've got several, but I'm in this time, and with all the questions that are going around, I've actually really focused. So one of the, and for the food bank to start it, it's, it, it's like a corny joke. There was a bishop, a priest, and a rabbi. And, you know, in, in Calgary, that was the beginning of the Calgary Interfaith Community Action Association. It was way back in the 80s. And from that, there's, there's no less than 24 organizations today that can trace their roots back to that point in Calgary's history, where this group of three individuals plus more looked at Calgary and said, we can do better. You know, we can look after our community. Um, and that legacy is there. And one of the first people In the food bank, one of the first volunteers and board members was a fabulous lady named Claudia Tennant. And I had the honor of meeting her when I first started. Um, And she had spent her life as a nurse traveling the world and looking after others. And when I became CEO, she she dragged me aside and she looked at me and, and she said, and she was all of maybe five foot one. Um, Very powerful lady, just, you know, you could see the intensity in in her life and, and her history. But she looked at me and she said, you know what, always err on the side of compassion.